Hi, I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm glad you're listening to this series on the healthy family. It's based on the book Family to Family by Dr. Jerry Peitsch and Victor Lee. It is my hope that in this series, you will learn how your family can be God-honoring and passing that faith on to generations to come. For more information, you can contact us at cbcstanton.org. Uh, man, I'm glad. I'm excited. I'll, I'll, let me tell you why I'm excited. Because we have seen what I expected, but, but I'm excited to see it, that the devil has really been active and working against the people at Calvary. And I'm excited about it because that means he's trying to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Right. Amen? Now, I'm not happy people are under, you know, having problems or under attack. Obviously, I'm not that. But let, let me just tell you, it was a joy. I... I, I got here actually on time a few minutes early, like, oh, cool, we'll be hanging out, might drink a little bit of coffee, and then we'll get started. I got here, there were like four tables already working. And, and one, one person, they, they had some things they needed to do with family, they were going to come because we planned to be here all morning. They got here, we were finished, okay, doing these, these and this is about a fifth of what, what we have. We've got close to around 4,000 bags of information, and we're going to either hang these on doorknobs or mailboxes next Saturday. And the more of you, and take a lesson from yesterday, the more of you come, less time we got to spend doing it, all right? And, and we want to get her done, so, so come, we'll do our part. Uh, there are other churches that might need our help at some point, so uh, it, it's just, if, if, you, if you want to be in on something that God is doing, come next Saturday morning. Now, if you miss that, you're going to miss it, because we're not going to do this every week, not going to do this every year. But we're doing it next Saturday. If you say, I absolutely cannot come. We sent out an email last week. We'll probably send another one. But what we want you to sign up for a time to pray between now and next Saturday especially. We're going to pray for these bags and the ones in the gym before we leave today. Um, Because prayer is the work. And if we're not in prayer, the the devil is going to have more victory uh, than than we want him to. Um, He's going to be fighting. So... Even if you don't sign up officially, pick a day, a, a, a time of day, or a day of the week and a time of day where you say, I will pray for Calvary, for the Saturate uh, Augusta uh, effort, for these bags going out, just whatever that you can remember, please do that. So uh, that is going to be the most important thing is that we're praying because those that are going are praying. And uh, I, I did a few visits a couple, a couple weeks ago, I, I told you, but... One, one lady had this big dog on her porch, and I just walked up and said, oh, what a cute dog. You know, I started petting it, and that kind of freaked them out. And, uh, so, you know, it's, you, it, don't worry. God's got it, all right? He's got it under control. And uh, y'all are just looking at me real quiet now, so I don't, I don't know why that is. I'm excited, and you're not. Well, it's darker, so that ought to help because you can't see me as well. Um, I, I walked up to some young people this morning and said, I got to look at myself in the mirror every morning. I had to come look at some beautiful people over here because... It just hurts my eyes after a while looking in the mirror. I'm glad to see all you beautiful people here. In your bulletin or worship folder, whatever you want to call it, is this little folder. And, and, and guess what God led me to do this week? To have one of these available for you. And guess what? We don't have anything up there that you can be writing down while I'm talking. So now uh, I will be careful to make sure you get these blanks filled in. The front, this six-week series, we're going to call it The Healthy Family. Today's sermon is, is Who's in Charge? All right, on the back at the bottom, you see the book that I'm using. I meant to actually bring that book in here, but you got a picture of it, the title, the author's there on the back. 
I, I want to give them all the credit because uh, I'm not this smart, uh, but uh, I'm pulling out of their book the things that, that will be good for us. So I encourage you to get their book and read it. You'll get a lot more detail out of it. Um, next Sunday morning, I know I'm doing announcements now. I don't mean to do that. But next Sunday morning, I'm starting a new members class. So if you are here, you want to get to know me, get to know what our church is all about, go ahead and sign up for that. I got a bunch of people said they're going to. They're going to miss that first week, so I'm going to have to do an extra week for them. But you sign up and come in next week. Amen. Thank you. All right. Just help me out, y'all. And, uh, um, and, 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 and I, I want to I do this. And, and last night, my wife is in Costa Rica. She had her first uh, grandma dance with uh, Flora to uh, uh, Why Don't You Fill Me Up Buttercup. That's Jansen's favorite song. And, um, and uh, she's done that with all our grandbabies and with our daughter. We always, you know, dance with the babies and have fun with them. Um, but, uh, got, you know, she'd always talk to me about sermon. She said, well, how are you going to open the sermon? I said, I, I don't know, but I'm thinking about it. She said, well, whatever you do, don't talk about our family. <laughs> and the reason is she doesn't want y'all to think that we think or give the impression that we think that we're anything great, you know, or perfect. Because the, a man called this the halo effect. When you stand up here, you get a halo effect. And I'm preaching God's word, which is perfect, but I'm an imperfect vessel preaching it. And sometimes y'all get confused which is which. <laughs> and I said, well, what I was thinking about doing is saying that, you know, you and I met, and it was just a love story for the ages. And 32 years ago that we got married, and in 32 years we've never had an argument. We had three perfect children. They never gave us any grief, never rebelled. They're, they married godly, godly people. Our grandchildren are beautiful and perfect and brilliant. And our family is perfect. That perfect family does not exist, okay? So I, I'm going to do it without doing it. That's what I'm going to do right there. I want you right now just to relax. And you're going, yeah, but oh, it's this and that. Guess what? Everybody, nobody's perfect. Nobody has a perfect family. Nobody has it all together. Nobody does it all right. So what I'm going to hope to do over the next six weeks is outline a way and some ways to help your family to become more and more into the image of Christ as a family. And so today we're going to kind of define what a family is. So you've got your notes, and uh, my electronic pad works, thank the Lord. Um, so I've got my outline and notes here that, that I can refer to. But we're going to read Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. This is kind of a great basis for everything in the family. And uh, it's, it is dark up here, but I'm going to try to, uh, to read it. And, and actually, I'm going to back up to verse 4 um, because that preface is needed uh, in what's going to happen because this is what God commands, and then he commands what to do with it. Let's stand together, and I'm going to back up to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a, sight, uh, uh, as a sign Sorry. On your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this command. That the, the first and most, the greatest command from the words of Jesus himself 
is quoting this passage. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your might. God, we thank you for that. That you are number one, there is no number two. That, that, that you don't become first in the order of things, you are first in everything. Lord, uh, you don't have to play a game once a year to decide who's champion. You are the champion from eternity past to eternity future. And we bow in humility before you. Lord, we come to you because only by you and through you do we have access to the grace, the power of God to enable us to, to live as you would command us to live. And so, Lord, I pray today, not that we would um, allow ourselves uh, in, in a sense of, uh, well, I can't be perfect, I, I, I just won't be perfect, but that we would always seek after to, to look like Jesus, the perfect example, to, to seek after you who has done all things for us perfectly and well, and that, Lord, we can access your strength and might in order that our lives might glorify you. Lord, may our prayer every day be that you would be glorified in our life. Lord, right now we ask you to bind our enemy, to, uh, to rebuke him for us, push him away from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all be seated if you want to be. Um, just as I was praying, listen, a lot of families are in crisis. Across our nation, a lot of families are in crisis. Um, uh, but it, it's no less in the church, uh, sadly. Um, and, and so... It, it, part of that is a cultural Christianity we've grown into that, that we, we think if we say this simple prayer, prearranged, there, it's written down in a thousand places, say these words, bam, everything's good, everything's fine, now everything will be perfect. And then when it's not perfect, sometimes we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go from there. And, and, and I just want you to understand that following Christ is an intentional thing. In that passage I just read, it says, you will teach these to your children diligently. Did you notice that word? That is a, that's an unbelievable word. Diligently or intentionally. You know, it doesn't just happen by osmosis. You have to, you have to mean to do it in, in, in a sense. And we've got to go after it. Uh, what, what I find is so many times as families, we expect the school to educate our children and the church to, to educate them spiritually. But here's the, here's the deal, folks. It's the parent's job. Okay, And specifically, it's the father's responsibility in that God will ask the father to answer for that. Now, not, I know not everybody's fully equipped to be a formal teacher or understand everything in the Bible. You know, we all have degrees of that. But the, but the point is, so many times we say, well, we can't be scholars, but you ought to strive to be. You know, you might not be a Bible expert, but you ought to strive to be. Why? Because you have access to it. I mean, you, you ought to just look at the other nations of the world. You, did you know that China has what they call the Great Firewall of China? They don't want Western ideas getting into their people's heads. They don't want their people to know that there's a thing called freedom. And, as that's, and that's why they're riding in Hong Kong, because they've had freedom. And now that you know, communist China's taken them over, um, they don't like it. Well, the deal is, Satan wants to keep you away from thinking or knowing what God has taught us, what God has said to us. And so, God defines what a family is and what a family should be. And it's not on the board and you're not going to have it. Here's what I want you to understand. A family without proper order creates chaos, which in turn leads to a lack 
of meaningful purpose. I'm going to reread that, especially since you can't see it up there. A family without proper order creates chaos, which in turn leads to a lack of meaningful purpose. In other words, God has an order of things. God always had a, or has an order of things. Guess who's at the top of every order God has, God has done and every order is from God? Guess who's at the top? God, right, exactly. He is the, he is the head of all things. Back in the 70s, uh, I think it was Dr. Falwell, uh, they, they put out these lapel pins. We all got one. It said, Jesus first. And, and people would say, what does that mean? And, you know, oh, well, Jesus is number one in my life. And then, you, you know, it's like, God's number one. And, and my, you know, and, and something, got, my family's number two. And I come in third. And there's even, and there's these great video testimonies you can look at online called I Am Second. Saying God is first. I come second to everything. And those are great. They're, they're wonderful. I appreciate what they're saying. But, but here's the deal. If God is number one, there's got to be a number two. So when we say Jesus is first or God is first, that means he's first in everything. He's first in my job. He's first in my education. He's first in my relationships, my family, my children, my wife, uh, my friends, all my relationships. God comes first in everything, and God never comes next. But we have, we've grown into a cultural Christianity where we can just come to church on Sundays and think we fulfilled our duty to God. God does care whether or not you meet together in a, in a visible local assembly of people. He does care about that. He commands that in the Bible. But, but here's, here's what I want you to understand. Just showing up at church is not your spiritual duty. It will encourage you in your spiritual duty. It will train you for your spiritual duty. But your spiritual duty is to be everything you're supposed to be before God. Because Jesus has died in your place to make God available to be Lord of your life. I was just thinking this morning. I said it in our Sunday school class uh, today. I was just thinking this morning. How do we tell people why they ought to come to Jesus? What, what is the most common thing we tell people about why they ought to come to Jesus? Come to Jesus and what will happen? Your sins will be forgiven. You go to heaven. That's a pretty selfish motive, don't you think? You understand that? We come to God. Oh, God, save me. I want what you got to give me. How about coming to God and go, I don't deserve anything. That's what the prodigal son said. Dad, I don't deserve anything but to be called your servant. And he said, I'll hush all that. Here's a robe and a ring. Go kill the fatty calf. My son who was lost is now found. And we will have a feast. You see, we come to God in humility saying, I need you because you're God and I'm not. And if you'll, if, if you'll just let me hang out in the house, I will be your servant for the rest of my life. And he goes, you're going to be my son. What do you mean? You're going to be a joint heir with Christ. You're going to reign with us. Wait, your sins are forgiven. And that is great that that happens. But get the mentality that I'm talking about. I just like, well, I, I come to God so my sins are forgiven. And then I'm desperately wondering, did I say the right prayer? Are my sins forgiven? You know what? If you've got a relationship with the Father, you know you're a son. You don't have to worry about it. You can go get my son out of bed at midnight and say, who's your daddy? Stuart McCarter. Thank you. He knows who I am. He knows our relationship. Say, so, well, have you ever doubted that? You ever wondered about that? No, none. Why? Because i got a relationship with him. He's my father. Right? I'm not saying it's wrong to doubt. I'm, I'm saying we think of it wrong. And so I thought with the power off and not doing videos, we're going to have a long time. I had a video introduction to this even. It was going to be great. Um, so, so here's what I want. Let me just define a family. You can write this down. 
It's, and this is just for the cause of our study. There are things in here you'd pick apart, say, oh, that's not complete, it's not good enough. I know all that. Don't, 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 do, don't do that to me, please. Persons related to each other through blood, marriage, or adoption. A family is persons related to each other through either blood, family, or adoption. Now, that is an imperfect definition, but for our cause, that is our definition. You say, well, uh, because it's current today, when they wrote this book, uh, this wasn't as big a deal, because uh, the book is actually kind of old. It's got some old things in it, but still good. Um, what about gay marriage? Well, a man and a man cannot get married. A woman and a woman cannot get married. They can live together in a civil union, but under God, they cannot be married. So when I say marriage, I mean a man and a woman, and only one man and one woman. <laughs> okay, that's what marriage is. So it's people related to each other through either blood, marriage, or adoption. Henry Drummond, a Scottish evangelist of 1800, said, The family circle is the supreme conductor of Christianity. And that, and that is true. So, here in Deuteronomy 6, and I'm going to come back and define the members of the family in a second. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to notice, and, and here's the things that a family does. And according to Deuteronomy 6, they work together. Because you're doing it as you go out and as you come in. So, so you are together. You work together. You eat together. That's mentioned in there. You talk together. Ooh, there's a big one. My daughter was grown, married, had a baby, and she came to visit. Family came to visit. And at the time, we had some game we all liked, and we would play each other in that game. And she was sitting beside me on the couch, and Savannah's a lot like me, kind of introverted. And so we're sitting there, and we're playing each other, sitting beside each other on the couch. My wife said, are, are y'all playing each other on your phones? And we didn't look up and go, yep. <laughs> you know, it was kind of weird. Like, well, why aren't you talking to each other? You're right there. Uh, and, and, and so that talking together, that communicating, I, I use that as, yeah, that's probably not a good thing to do. Uh, but, but guess what? We can talk. We do talk because we have that relationship. Worship together. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this. And uh, I'm not going to say I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say I don't mean to offend anybody. But, but even at church, we come to church and we put the kids in one place, the teenagers in another place, and the adults in another. That seems odd to me. You say, well, they don't understand. I grew up sitting on a pew with an old-fashioned preacher, preaching from the King James Bible, with nothing but a piano and an organ, and I got it. Now, I'm not saying we've got to go back to piano and organ, an old-fashioned preacher, and a King James Bible. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we, we make too little of what God can do and what God... Guess what? It is good to stand there and see my dad who cannot sing and my mom who could sing okay with a hymn book, and it doesn't have to be a hymn book, singing and worshiping God and praying at our meals and leading us in prayer and having a little devotion at breakfast time. My wife's mom, my mother-in-law goes to a church, a big church in Georgia, and they're renovating all the lights and sound system in their church. And so they got the job, and so they moved to their social hall. And I'm talking about hundreds of people, maybe a thousand people. They got a huge social hall, huge building. So, hey, it finally got done. They were going to be gone two weeks. They were gone like six weeks. So they go back in, they fire it up, and guess what? The projectors didn't work. It's like, oh, great. All right, everybody go back to the social hall. So I'll go back to the social hall. And my wife said to her mom, it's too bad that, you know, that somebody doesn't come up with a way to be able to write that down on paper and share it with everybody. 
They went back to the social hall so they could have projectors. Well, I get it. That's the world we live in. But this is trappings. We don't need all this. But what we do need is healthy families. What we've got to have is healthy families. And you don't have to have all the electronics and fancy stuff to get the word across. And I am not advocating for going back in time. People always want to go back in time. Man, you know, it's, it, it, it's like, it, it, well, that's an, old, that's an old joke, so I won't even tell it because it doesn't make sense anymore. But, you know, go back, be like Jesus, all right, and walk everywhere you go. And guys, quit wearing britches. Put on a, put on a robe and some sandals. And then walk everywhere you go. You know, what point do you go back to? It, it's not about, oh, when I was a kid. It's, well, where, where are we culturally? Okay, that's fine. But how do we baptize all this? How do we make this work for what God has called us to be as a family? And that's the point I'm trying to make. Please don't take that other stuff and run with it because that's beside the point. All I'm saying is it doesn't, it doesn't have to be what you think is perfect to get it done. All right? So let me say them again in case you missed any of them. Five things. Work together. Eat together. Talk together. Worship together and play together. All right, and then the next thing I want you to see uh, is the continuous presence of a parent is inherent in those verses. It doesn't say, and your kids will get it as they raise themselves. It's commanded to the parents to raise the children. It always works better that way. You know, God made you bigger, older, smarter, and stronger for a reason. Just saying. And so let me just talk about that a minute. In a, in a health, we, we've lost this. We live in a, in a culture and a nation where the lines are being erased and, and just, it, it's nuts. God has revealed himself as a father. He does not identify as a woman. He is a father to his people. And I am not going to let you dictate to me to be as crazy as you. Male and female created he, them. And you cannot alter that DNA. So God has made a father and a mother to be in the family. Now, listen. Single parents, they got a harder job than, than a, a two parents. Obviously, right? And this is where the church has to come in and help fill gaps where the family is not, you know, no family's perfect, but where there's an extra need. But the father's job is to be a leader, to be a protector, to be a regulator. What do I mean by that? He, he's, he's the thermostat of the family. He, he's a, he should be a nourisher. The Bible says he ought to nourish his wife and love his wife. He's a sacrificer. He should sacrifice himself. In Ephesians 5, God says that as Christ gave himself for the church, so the father, the husband, should give himself for his wife. So that is, that's the job of, of a father. I, I made myself some extra notes up here. But listen, if you're single, let me, let me get If you're married, stay where you are. If you're, if, if you're single... Let me help you with this. Don't look to get married. Seek to be content with God and be everything God wants you to be. I, I didn't get married until I was 28. I don't want that to scare you, but again, the mirror thing's going on here. God literally blinded my wife. 
her friend said to her after we dated a little while, said, oh, and I love his red hair. And she said, he doesn't have red hair. And back then it was more pumpkin colored than it is today. <laughs> and said, yeah, he does. No, it's brown or something. She, she didn't like guys with red hair. <laughs> and uh, God literally blinded her. In fact, my hair was red. Oh, that was pretty awesome. If you're content with God, if you're not content with God, whether you're the male or the female wanting to get married, and oh, I ask, I ask every married, why do you want to get married? Oh, she completes me. Oh, he loves me so much. Oh, we're so much in love. Whatever they say, I always say that is the worst reason I've ever heard to get married. We got so much in common. The only reason to get married is it's the will of God that you get married. And if you're looking for that person to fill a hole in your life, what you two are are two ticks without a dog. <laughs> you will not survive very long. So the father is called to be a leader, not to be called to be a dictator, called to be a leader. Called to be one who takes the responsibility because... They, let me just let you in on a little secret. When I stand before God, God's going to say to me, how did you lead Janice? How did you nurture and teach your children? And I'm not looking forward to that day because I know I didn't do it all perfectly. I thank God for his forgiveness and grace that burns up the bad and rewards the good that he did in me. There, how about the mother? She is the emotional element, really. She, she should be. When you got a, you know, an emotional guy and the woman's steady, you, you can work that out, but... Still, the day comes when the man's got to rise up and be a man. You can always tell the man because he rises up on his hind legs and leads. It's that simple. What my wife will say to me, because I taught her to say this to me, is, well, are you going to be a man and lead us out of this or what? What are you going to do about it? Because she already knows what I ought to do about it. She's asked me questions before and I'll answer. She goes, that's wrong. I said, why did you ask me? She said, I just want to give you a chance to get it right. But you didn't. So, you know. If she were here, she's not here, you can tell her, she can listen. But they, are the, um, they, they bring emotion to it. I, I, I lack in certain ways of emotion, and she helps me with that. They are more nurturing than a, a, a man will be. I, I, I've told you before, but the first time I held Savannah, my, my wife said, that's not how you hold a baby. I said, I know that, but I'm her father, not her mother. I want her to know there's a difference. The mother submits to godly leadership of her husband. The wife does. You see, if the problem is not rebellious women or toxic men. The, the problem is no real men with women who will willfully submit and follow godly leadership. Now, I think a woman ought to follow the leadership of a man unless he's leading her to sin. And, I, and by sin, I mean gross sin. But if the man leads in the wrong direction, her job is to pray for him and help him because he is the one standing before God for those decisions. She will stand, and, and listen, man, you're dumb if you don't listen to your wife, okay? God did not make you her dictator. He didn't make you the, you know, like, no, you just got to do what I say. You better listen because she's got insight in things that you don't have. God didn't equip you to have them. If, all you got to do is go back to creation. We, we mess this up because of the King James language. I said this before, I'm going to say it again, and probably say it many times during this. A helper fit for the man, which means that they work together in unity and harmony, and, and, and it works together well, okay? That's what God intended. He intended us to work together. Now, the fall creates problems and all that. 
but he meant for us to work together. And so we got to come together on that in Christ. And, and, and so the parents have children. The children's job is to honor, obey their parents, receive information and training, and develop into adults. I think I said it here last week, but I never raised children. I was raising adults. From the time they were born, I was looking at 18. There are some things I tell them about when you turn 18, these are some things got to happen because society says you're an adult. Now, of course, you keep supporting kids all through your life, and I understand that, but listen, you got to give them responsibility. You got to teach them how to take responsibility, right? So we ought to carry the presence of God inside our homes. Did you notice that? Worship God together to carry his presence inside our home. If, if you don't worship God at home, you're not going to worship him here at church. And so the children need to see you as, as parents leading in that worship. Proverbs 22, 6 says that parents, you know, tramp a child in the way she goes. We, we know that verse. But, but the, the real meaning behind that verse is that parents ought to shepherd their children, see what their strengths and weaknesses are, and and lead them in a direction in, in which they should go. And we train them with the wisdom of what God intended them to be. I never told any of my children what they ought to do with their life. Everybody else, of course, when I had a son, you know, the first question I ever got was, oh, do you hope he's a preacher like you? I said, number one, I certainly don't want him to be a preacher like me. I want him, if he was going to be a preacher, better than that. But what I said is, no, I want him to be a preacher like Reggie White in the offseason. You know, I want him to play football, be, be rich and play football. But he didn't. <laughs> and he's not rich. And he's not a preacher. I don't care. His best friend asked him to do her wedding. And so they got an official person. In Virginia, you can't do that unless you're registered. And he couldn't be the official officiant, but they got someone to do that part of it. But my son did the wedding. And lost people came up to, to her and was like, who is that guy? Where, where does he go to church? You know, and, you know because they, they wrote him and said, you moved me to, to consider Christ. I don't even know what he said. I wish I had a, a tape of it. And his friend told me, he said, yeah, Ian was great. I'm like, Ian, my boy, you know, who won't talk much. It, it was amazing. But, but what I'm saying is, I never told them what to do. They, they just had to follow God on their own. But I was there to help them learn how to do that. In fact, one out of three of my children disagreed with me theologically for a long time. And I never told her she was wrong. But guess what? One day she got into an argument with somebody else and had to start studying the Bible. And then she came back and said, Dad, I, I guess you were right. And I said, well, good. I'm glad you got in the Word and figured that part out. Because that's what we're called to do, to, to let them be who they are, but to lead them and guide them into who God needs them to be. So what is a healthy family? Here's some marks of a healthy family. And I think... You have uh, five blanks. There's actually only four, so don't let that confuse you. We printed these, and then uh, Secretary caught it. She came and said, I did five. You want me to do them again? I said, no, don't waste paper. I'll just let them wonder what they missed. Okay, so <laughs> number one, and, and wow, I'm just going to have to write, run through this. Spend quality and quantity of time together. Spend quality and quantity of time together. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. All right? That's not original with me. Quantity and quality of time together. Statistically, it, it has been shown, and this book said the statistic, it's an old statistic, but I know it's true. Families that eat together five times a week, they can see that the children have less troubles in society and life and school. 
three or less times, and all of a sudden that goes way up. And it doesn't matter if you eat at home or out. You can go to McDonald's every day as long as you go to the family. It's the fact of being together and talking together where you get the opportunity that maybe somebody will open up and say something. My, my son told us that when the two girls got married, went off to college, actually when they were off at college, Cameron went to college and he said he was so used to Janice and I sitting down at supper, we did supper together mostly, and say, we'd say how was your day? He said, I just always would say, oh, fine, I did this and this. And then he said, then I would eat because I knew the girls would start talking. <laughs> he said... Cameron goes off to college. He's in 10th grade. Said, I come in from school the first day, and we're at supper, and mom and dad said, how was your day? And I went, oh, fine. You know, uh, I saw somebody at first period, and it was really good. He said, I'm eating, and I realize I look up, and they're just still looking at me like, oh, man, I got to talk to them now. What is going on? <laughs> Mealtime's a great time just to ask a question, and it can open a door that you can lead into a spiritual element. Secondly, Commitment to each other individually and as a whole. I'm committed to each individual member of my family, but as a family, we're committed to each other. I promise you can't touch one of us without touching all of us. To love and uphold each other, to be victorious together, to walk through life with Christ, to affirm and support each other. I don't even like that word affirm, but I'm using it. Good job. Wait, now listen, we... we we picked on each other because we figured everybody else is going to pick on them so they ought to get it from people they know love them. But we, we told them what a great job they did. My kids will tell you today that, Dad, you always thought there was, that we could do anything. And I'd say, you can do anything. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're the best. Well, that, that's good for a child to hear. They heard from me that I loved them. And my wife told me not to talk about us, so I'll, I'll quit saying that. But that's what you need to, you do need to do that. You need to let them know and and to accept them and uphold them and, and, and just let them know how great they are. The Bible says they are a gift from God. The Bible says Psalm 139. And God knit them together in your womb, Mom. That God was intimately acquainted and making them exactly like they are. So receive that gift from God exactly as they are. And just rejoice in that. And enjoy it. And be proud that, uh, that God gave you those children. The dad and mom. This is number three. Dad and mom approximately equal in the involvement of raising of their children. We've heard this statement a lot. Wait till your daddy gets home. Let me compare it to another statement. If you do bad, I'm going to get that policeman to come arrest you. Why, number one, why are you making the cop the bad guy? Why are you making dad the bad guy? Number two, that's your job. I was with, here I go again. I was with my son in the city building. There was a group of policemen standing there. Ian was little. He didn't even, I don't think he even knew what I was saying. He's probably three or four. And I said, son, you see those men? Those are policemen. If you're ever in trouble, you run to one of them and they will help you. And I was just saying it to him and then we went to leave. And all of a sudden this cop goes, sir, sir, sir. And I, oh, yes, sir. He said, thank you. I said, for what? He said, what you just told your son. He said, we don't ever hear that. I said, well, it's the truth. I said, if he does get in trouble and run to you and he's done something bad, you come me because getting him is my job. Your job is to, to protect him and save him until he can get to me. <laughs> I don't need no policeman to discipline my son. That's my job, right? I need him to save his life when he's stupid. <laughs> and all kids are. So, um... <laughs> 
We just have to be equal together. Dad and mom. Our, our dad's going, oh, no, go ask your mom. Well, make a decision, Dad. Come on. Or if you don't know, go to the mom and say, let me talk to your mom. We're going to come to it. I'm telling you, we would have, there's something my wife and I still disagree about one of our kids. I'm still right. She's still right in her mind. But we present a united front. And the worst sin a kid could commit in our household was to ask dad for something. He'd say, no, and go ask mom. Or ask mom for something. And she'd say, no, come ask me. That gets you in more trouble than anything in our house. And that wasn't written down on a sheet of paper stuck to a wall like here's the rules. But they knew that. Barna did some research and he found out that here are some important elements. And, and you don't have a room to write all this down. But that, that the priorities in the life of a parent, that you do have priorities, that God is first that, uh, that, that, that there is an entry point for your parenting like you're doing that consciously that there are non-negotiable boundaries for children I just told you one of our non-negotiable boundary if mom and dad disagree you could say well mom said I couldn't okay let me go talk to your mom we'll talk it out I'll be back with you they knew what we were doing sometimes we had to go in a different room say what in here is going no you're wrong what are you talking about that's crazy you know but once we got all worked out we came back out and told them so so Find those things. Importance of acting like a parent. You're not their friend. You're not one of them. Be their mom or dad. Critical values and beliefs that are needed by, their, by your children. you got to have those. you got to know what you believe, and they got to be critical. And then goals that will change their life that are identified and pursued. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Go for that. And encourage them to do that. And then the fourth thing on this little list is, and I'm just going to have to stop. Where individually and corporately... Their significance is found in Christ. A mark of a healthy family is what I said at the beginning. Did you get married because she had blue eyes and he was the football guy? Or did you get married because God called you to get married? Now, listen, some of you didn't have that luxury. Some of you might have got married and then got saved. I get all that. But if you... (laughs) I met my wife in May and married her in December. So let me just go ahead and put this out there for you. Our first year of marriage was misery. Because we didn't know each other at all. We thought we knew each other great until we got married. Then we found out we didn't know each other. And here's what my wife would say. How do you know we didn't make a mistake? Now we never talked about divorce, but we were just trying to figure it out. How do you know we didn't make a mistake? I said, because we're married. She said, what if I'd have married somebody else? I said, then it would have been God's will for you to marry them. She said, how can it be God's will for me to marry two different people? I said, it's not because you married me. <laughs> you know? And I'm frustrated because to me it just makes sense. But she was struggling with that because she was 23 when we got married. She just came out of this huge singles group. Guys asking her out all the time. And I, I won't even tell that from up here. I'll get in trouble. But, man, let me just tell you. I'll just say this. Our first date came on. She had five messages. Second night, that was Monday night. Second night, which was Tuesday night, she had three messages. Third night, she had one message, and nobody called after that. Because they figured, "Uh uh-oh, somebody's got her, and that was me. But I'm just telling you, first year, we were wondering, what did we just do? Why why didn't we wait longer? Well, because I was 28. I wasn't waiting any longer. I'm ready to get married. And it was difficult. But guess what? We knew it was the will of God. And so that got us through that hump. I mean, people say, oh, we got married. First year was bliss, and then everything went bad. Everything went bad, and then it got great for us. So it wasn't bad like we were going to divorce, but it was a questioning. Are you sure? Did we do the right thing? 
our, we have to individually find our significance in Christ. And then together, we are a married couple because God called us together to do together what neither one of us could have done by ourselves. Because there's a lot of stuff I couldn't do without her. Individually, individuals in a healthy family are interdependent, not independent or codependent. We are interdependent. Independent leads to isolation, depression, fear, and frustration. Codependency leads to wrong thinking and action. Codependency is when you support somebody in wrong behavior. And that's where I should have said, and if you are codependent, you're two ticks without a dog. So you can do that to your kid as well as to your wife or husband. All right? Well, man, I got, I got three more sermons in here, so I'm going to stop. I'll come back. We'll, do, we'll finish this next week. Hopefully we'll have the overhead and it'll, it'll help me out. Let, let me give you some stuff you could do, at least this one. Well, actually, these things would be good to go ahead and do. First of all, discover your real purpose as a family. And then make steps to pass that purpose on to your children. Now, this is something I did not do. It's something I discovered in this book. Never thought about doing it. And so I'm going to help you do it. But I can still do it, and I'm still going to do it, and I'm going to talk to my kids about maybe they could do this for them. They probably are, have done it, uh, but I didn't. But discover what your purpose is as a family. Why did God put us together as a family, our kids and all that? Then how do we understand that and pass that purpose on, uh, an eternal purpose? We only live a short time, and then we go to eternity. God has put us here for a time for a reason. Secondly, go ahead and prepare to write down an actual schedule of your family. Now, you can, I, I've thought about running these off, giving them to everybody, but you can take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and you can make a grid that'll cover, um, what did that be? Uh, 16 hours a day for a week. You can do Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and little blocks of time making an hour each of 16 hours in a day. You can make one of those up and then just start writing in there or just on an electronic calendar, however you want to do it. What do you do every day? What does your husband do every day? What do your kids do every day? And then look at that schedule. And ask yourself, what on here is important and what on here is not important? Because once you include eating, sleeping, working, school, church, evaluate how much you do as individuals and how much you do as a family as well. And then I was going to give you a bunch of verses. Uh, well, they're on your, that folder. Read those verses as a family. If, if, I, I was talking before service to some folks. You know what I could not do very well? And that is have a formal time as a family for spiritual instruction. That was very hard for me. So you're a preacher. I know. That's why. Because <laughs> you open a verse and I start doing this. You know, And they need a discussion. That's why we did more around the supper table like that. But if you want to read verses of family, what do you think? Here's a list of verses on the back uh, that, that are found in this chapter. Um, and, and you go home, read those, and maybe just take one of those verses. Maybe one for the whole week. And it depends on how old your children are and where you are in life. But just use those as a devotion time if you don't have something else. If you got something else, just use that. But read those verses and apply that to your family. Plan at least one time together that you're going to read those things. Or, or at least one of those verses together. And just, just one time. Like I said, some people do good with an ordered structure growing up. 
We did it around breakfast because that was uh, when we were together. We would do a devotion. Well, we did it at breakfast and supper, but we did our devotion at breakfast. We used a little booklet, sort of like the one out there, only it's called Open Windows, Southern Baptist Meg. Had a verse, a little story, and a prayer at the bottom. And we'd take turns reading the verse or reading the prayer, doing whatever. And then we'd pray together as a family. Very simple, very easy. But we did that every day of my life in the morning until I got married, and then I didn't do it. <laughs> and then supper time, we were together, and we talked about our day. And sometimes supper would be over, and we'd sit there for a long time talking. You wonder why I talk a lot? You can blame my family. That's what we did. We sat around and talked a lot. It's a good thing to do. So I want to encourage you. I don't want this to be discouraging. This is a lot of technical stuff I threw at you. So don't, don't get lost in that. Take time and, uh, and, and, and do some of this to the glory of God.